Hello everyone, welcome back to the Neighborhood Conversations. It's a privilege to be back in your neighborhood, whether you're going to be listening to this podcast in your car, in your house, uh, wherever, on the street, walking. Welcome back. Have a seat. This is great impact conversations that we're going to be having for the next few series, inviting amazing leaders in community who are doing amazing things in you should get to know them if you do not know who they are. But I'm pretty sure this lady who we're going to be introducing, Anne Divine, an amazing leader, someone who's well-respected in community, someone who advocates for change on a daily basis. Um, and I have a privilege of, of seeing her in action lots of times um, with our work that we do a teamwork from a diverse perspective, but also on different panels, empowering women um, and impactful, being an impactful leader that she is. Um, so, Anne, welcome to the Neighborhood Conversations. How are you? Oh, I'm very well. Thank you, Templeton. This is a marvelous opportunity. And I'm really delighted that I can spend this time with you because we see each other all the time, but we've never had the opportunity to really sit down and talk. So, yeah. here we are today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but I, I think you're you're the busy one that has so much to schedule, but, but it's always good. Busy is good. Busy means you're making impact, you're making change in community. And I'm so happy to be in your space today as well, um, where we yes. can sit down to have a conversation about who's Anne, and what are some of the things that she's doing in, in, in community? So I'm going to go into that question, and who are you as oh, an individual, and what do you bring to this <laughs> great community? Well, I can't tell you all of who I am. I have to keep some secrets. Oh, oh. <laughs> a little bit of the of flavor, a little, a little bit of ice cream. Well, um, thank you very much, Templeton. It's a pleasure and an honor to be with you this afternoon. Well, um, I was born in Guyana, South America, the former British Guyana. I often say that because people often think, um, maybe I don't say Guyana enough because yeah. people often think I'm Ghanaian. Mm. Um, yeah, I might have some connections way, way back. I have no idea, but, you know, our history, because as um, descendants of um, slaves, we we don't quite know. The only person that I know who has been able to track his history and his heritage uh, amongst us as Black people um, that I know is is my husband. He can trace his ancestry back to his the slave owners of his dad. So that's interesting. But um, myself, as I said, I was born in Guyana, uh, South America. And then I was raised there for a while. I was raised in this tiny village called Farm. I was born in Georgetown, but then um, on my parents' My grand, my mother is from a place called Baggettsville, and um, my father is from a place in the West Bank of Demerara. And um, I was brought up in this tiny village. At the time, it would seem small and insignificant, but as I look back now, it's played a really important role in forming, helping to shape and to form my formative years. I was raised there with my grandmother, my um, uncles, my aunts. These are the first influences, influencers in my life. They were very, very industrious people. My father's siblings, he was away in 
in the UK. They took very good care of us, uh, looking after us and ensuring that um, we lived by certain rules and principles and the instilled in us certain values. And one of those that I can remember distinctly is education, education. Um, we had great role models. My uncle, and you know, I'm sad that he's, he's not alive to see what we've become today, or he didn't even get that opportunity. We went to school in the day and we went to night school. Yeah. At nights, he, he hosted night school. You know, everybody has a favorite uncle and he Boy. was our favorite uncle. So, and that's where I learned to spell these long words like Philadelphia and Mississippi and all of these things, because that's what he did for us. Um, then I, I left Guyana and went to the UK. There I went to school in the UK, I joined my parents. And, um, you know, I, I don't know what if you're aware of this, but for many of us, those of us who were raised one place with our grandparents, then had to go and join our parents. Um, that had certain challenges because you're trying to fit into a new culture, a new environment, learning, getting to know your parents. And um, I, I was very fortunate because um, I, I was saying to someone not so long ago, I, I don't have a rags to riches story, but I do have a, memories of a very rich um, environment, the way how we were raised, my mother's mother, and father, they were the Barack Obama of, and Michelle Obama of their time because my grandfather was justice of the peace. He was also the village chairman. He was self-employed. He put all of his children through school, high school, and many of them became professors and teachers and um, government officials, very, very um, educated and industrious family. That's my heritage. And I'm, I, I, Recently, I start to say that um, I'm, I was raised privileged. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, as black people, the word privilege, sometimes we don't equate that with us. Yeah. Yeah. But when I look back in my own experience, I was raised privileged. When I went to the UK, my parents had bought their own home. And so we were living in our own home, bought by our parents. And um, recently, that home was disposed of. But again, my father took, and parents, mother, took keen interest in our education. Right. They were present at every parent evening. They wanted to know what was going on in school. And at any time of day, because my father didn't work too far away from school, he could drop into the school and have a conversation with my teachers. Whereas some of my um, friends, their parents were illiterate. And so they had no idea what was going on in the school environment. Mm -hmm. I could never go home and tell my parents that school finished at eight o'clock in the evenings because they knew that that wouldn't be true. Yeah. I had to be home by 4.30 because my parents knew the education system very well. My heart. They, <laughs> they made themselves available to it. Yeah. And fast forward into my adulthood, I have had a number of, people who helped to shape my life, influenced me, my church, for example, mm -hmm. uh, as growing up as a Seventh-day Adventist in the UK. Then um, my work, getting my first job at 21 as an education social worker and having to hold my own 
hosting um, case conferences for people who were on the margins, underprivileged, under people who lived in uh, poverty, basically, and trying to engage them and get them into school. Uh, that was, you know, quite something. I used to be known as Young Anne then. And I progressed into different fields. And, you know, I'm very proud, so much so that I, um, when I left the UK, I left a very senior position in the probation service here as um, aide to the chief officer, assistant chief officer of probation, something that I'm very proud of because um, I had some good role models, some good mentors, some good, uh, what we would say, supporters, some good brokers and some good people who paired mentors, some good people who opened doors for me, as well as not just opening the doors, but they were there to ensure that I got the kind of uh, nurturing that I needed, coaching that was important as a young executive coming up um, in the UK. And when I came to Canada, none of that was available. It certainly was not available for Black women like myself. In fact, there were few, very few Black women leaders at the time. The one person that I know at the time in 2004 was the um, Honourable Mayanne Francis, former Lieutenant Governor for Nova Scotia. She used to be both the um, CEO for the Nova Scotia Human Rights Commission and for the Ombudsman. She's quite a formidable, formidable woman. And um, looking around, I didn't see anyone who looked like me. I didn't see any immigrant women getting into any senior leadership position. So I founded a Black and Immigrant Women's Network I taught women, um, immigrants like myself, um, at Keshen Goodman Library because I wanted us, I had something that they didn't have. Yeah. And I also wanted them to have that. Following that, right. I went on to, um, after founding the Black and Immigrant Women's Network, I started a program, the Business Cohort for Leadership for Women. And that was done in conjunction with the Black Business Initiative, um, thanks to Mike Wise, who gave us that opportunity to, to run that program and, and to run it several times for, for the benefit of our women. 48 women went through that program, wow. including Amazing. our now counselor, um, Ionis, Councillor Iona Stoddard for District 12. Wow. So I am extremely proud, and many of those women have said that, my support assistance has helped them to um, move forward. I started my career in Canada, if you can imagine, as um, a program development officer with the Nova Scotia Office of Immigration. At that time, if you could imagine me being uh, leaving a senior leader's post and coming down to um, becoming a program you know, officer, mm -hmm. uh, mentally I'm up there, but physically I'm down here. But when I reflect on it, mm -hmm. I, I, it, that was a very humbling experience because I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, and to this day, I'm just grateful for those individuals. Um, the person who supervised me at the time was a gentleman by the name of um, uh, Desmond Jones, mm -hmm. uh, another um, black person. So um, following that, I left the Office of Immigration and thanks to another woman, 
by the name of Vicky Samuel Stewart. Vicky, she heard about me. She didn't know me that well, but she heard about me. She heard about uh, my um, experience, my qualifications, my, my career. And she told me that she was leaving the Nova Scotia Human Rights Commission, and perhaps I needed to put in an application for that job. And I did, and I was successful. There are others who were interviewed, but I got the job. It was um, a rewarding time for me because it came at a difficult time in our lives when my husband had a near-fatal accident and um, I had to take over and starting this new job, leading a family, holding it together. And um, so I am truly grateful. I'm grateful to Nova Scotians in many ways because when that situation happened, they were really kind. Um, we can say a lot of things about Nova Scotians, whether of all races. What I know during that time they did was to surround us with love yeah. because everybody knew that this was a tragedy yeah. and everybody knew that we had come from the UK and we didn't have any family here. Yeah. And in fact, on the day of the accident, when I called my siblings and I told them what had happened, they flew in here the next day but one person told them, look, Elizabeth Mills, who was the then director of the Office of Immigration, she said, don't worry about her when they were leaving because she has family here. And that stood to be true. Um, people just took care of us. It didn't matter where we went. Yeah. People are always asking. In fact, I was in a taxi just two days ago. Wow. And um, this, um, the taxi driver said, you used to live at 164 Redfern Terrace, didn't you? So I said, yeah. He said, how is your husband? Is he better? Is he doing good? So even the taxi drivers wow. took care of us. Wow. So um, I had my own angst about Nova Scotia. I didn't like being here. Yeah. So when I left government, because I thought my career wasn't going in the direction that I wanted to go, right. and I, I was so unhappy, I, I, my son said to me, Mom, he came from Toronto and he said, Mom, I, I see you're not happy. There's, we're not here and you laugh in the mornings anymore. Yeah. There's, that smile is gone. I am going home to England and there's a seat on the plane beside me. I'm taking you home so you can be with your sisters, you can laugh and you could have fun. And I said, yes, son, you don't have to ask me twice. My mm -hmm. husband said to me, are you divorcing me? I said, no, I'm not, but I'm just going home. <laughs> well, we did. And it lasted all but three months. And then you okay, started to go back to Midland. I came back to Nova Scotia yeah. Yeah. and started my business in earnest and, um, I have not looked back since I've made my peace with the rocks Yeah. and Nova Scotia. My family knows that Nova Scotia is now home. And, um, I have had some really great experiences. Yeah. Um, we all have our challenges and our trials, but Definitely. you know what, if we're going to inspire people, we talk about the negatives, but then we also talk about the triumphs that we've had. And, oh. um, as I sit here, I can say quite honestly, uh, many people have helped me yeah. to triumph in my life. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break to listen to some Nova Scotia Works client stories. I look forward to my family's security in the future. That's the main goal as a father. The empowerment from changing careers has really just made me want to get out of bed in the morning. I'm looking forward to growing my business. So I want to hire people 
Like I was hired, I want to give guys that chance. Il me fera plaisir de continuer à travailler avec les immigrants francophones à Nouvelle-Écosse. I am looking forward to the financial freedom that I never had before. And now back to the podcast. This is wow, and from education to impact to community support to um, everything that sums up this podcast and who we want to to bring in. And I'm so happy that you you brought yourself from someone who was who was raised uh, from Guyana to someone who has. Um, traveled the world and been in places and sat in, in in seats that has made impact. And I always try to say that the roles, and like you said, you transition from a big position to um, to coming to a, a program officer position, but, but, but it's with, it's, it's the impact that yeah. you're making um, with these positions. And you, and you took those impact and those words of, of inspiration from other people who you respect in community with you. What does impact mean to you? It's for me, it's it's a powerful word. Yeah. When you talk about impact. Yeah. You can't talk about impact without not talking about influence. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, they go hand in hand. And um, it's something that you have to decide how you're going to live your life as well. Right. Because it has to be daily. Yeah. Um, and I have to reflect on myself, how I conduct myself yeah. every day. Every single day. I do that too. <laughs> because you know what? I could be standing beside someone. Yeah. And that person would say to me, hello, Anne. And I have no idea who that person yeah. is. Yeah. And they would say to me, oh, you did so-and-so. Oh, you spoke to me. Oh, you encouraged me to join you on LinkedIn. Oh, and it, didn't, it doesn't matter who they are. And um, I think I learned that at a very early age. And I learned that from my, my, my aunt. I had an aunt yeah. who was disabled. Yeah. And um, her name was Lucille, but nobody ever called her by her name. No. She was known as leader. <laughs> if, you, if I want to talk about leadership, that was where I learned leadership yeah. from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I learned it from her. We always have those odds. We always have those odds, those, those, those elders who will definitely be that inspiration to us all. Yeah. She ran the household. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was interesting listening to my uncle talking about he, when he was, he's now in his 80s, and he talked about when he was a young boy, how she ran the household. She was the eldest. But, you know, the, her disability, she was born with polio, but her disability did not stop her from being what she wanted to be. She was intelligent. She was industrious because she decided at a very long, in her life that she was not going to sit, as she would say, in the street and beg arms. She was not going to be, no. What she did, she actually used to make her bake goods. Mm-hmm. and her patisseries. And every Saturday morning, we would have to leave home around about nine o'clock and we would walk for about three, four miles and she would be selling her baked goods along the way. Now, I was charged with the responsibility as a young female to actually push her along the dusty, rocky, 
hard roads. We didn't have many paved roads in Guyana then. I had to push her along the way because it was a tricycle that her brothers from the UK sent her. She didn't have power in our legs. She had power in our arms. So she would use her arms to pedal, but she also needed someone to push. And that was me. Could you imagine I was about eight years old? And you know what, Templeton? I hated it with a passion. I hated it. I hated it. I hated it because on Saturdays, everyone else, and not only that, I was also embarrassed by her and um, everyone else would be out playing. Yeah. And I would be, you know, this little eight year old um, pushing our aunt all over the place. And you know what? As I look back, I think she knew how much I hated it. She never said, but ever so often she would take me and she would cup my face with her hands and she would look into my eyes and she would tell me the most beautiful things about my parents. (laughs) She would tell me, um, she used to call me, which was my dad's um, pet name, Kitty, um, Kins. And she used to cup my face and, she used to call me Kitty One Eye. So mm-hmm. that gave me such a loving feeling about the dad that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And he was living abroad. So there was no question in my mind who, who shaped my upbringing. Um, my grandmother was a very loving person as well. Um, and and when, I, when I look back and see, and here's the thing about privilege that I said I was raised privilege and impact they were very industrious. My uncles were on my father's side. They weren't university educated men, but they were highly skilled. They were boat builders. They were engineers. Here is impact. In this tiny village, there were three houses that were together, my grandmothers, my uncles, and my aunts. Now those men, they actually, what they had, they built electricity, hydroelectric power, And I remember when my aunt got married in 1964, we had electricity. There was a pond behind the back of our house where as children, we weren't allowed to go. At any one time during the summer holiday, there were 17 grandchildren around. So we weren't allowed to go to the back of the, the house where the pond was. But what we knew they were, it was called the engine room, the engine. And they also had conveyor belt which they used to produce um, cassava and we made cassava bread from that. So there was some, these, these are the impact. You talk about impact. I had all of that in my life growing up as a young person, a young woman. We also had um, my grandmother and my uncles also insisted on our education. And so on our wall, there would be photographs of, my dad, my mom, there was photographs of my aunts and uncles who had gone abroad and made good of themselves. And there was one photograph that was on our wall where we we looked at that photograph and my grandmother used to say, study your education so that you can be like your aunt. One was a nurse, one had on a blue suit and we were told that she worked in the Bank of Canada. Mm -hmm. Now, fast forward years now, I've come to Canada. I met my aunt and I said to her, what was, you were in that blue suit, what job were you doing? And she she said, you know that blue suit? I said, yes, and I described it to her and she had on this beautiful hat. Mm -hmm. 
And, and she was sat there and she said, that was my wedding outfit. <laughs> they always said it was the bike of the Royal of Canada. Yes. It was nothing to do with the bank. Oh, wow. <laughs> she worked in the bank, but it was nothing to do with the bank. Yeah. Fast forward, I come to come to the UK. My Both my mom and my dad, my mom was um, a nursing assistant. Yeah. And from there, when she retired, she set up her own business. She was very industrious. She had a child's mind in business, and we were so proud of her. Yeah. And then my dad, he worked with the, the, the council, for example, with... You know, the, he was an engineer, mechanical engineer with a council, and he had been with the council since 1964 until he retired in the late um, early 90s, late 80s. And he himself rose from being a, a, an ordinary person, put himself through school in the evenings. He was very, very clever. It didn't matter what your car, how difficult it was. I've seen my dad taking a tiny screw from a car engine and he would break it down and brush it with toothbrush to get whatever was impacting. And he built his own wrench to get the engine out of the car. They did that all the time. And then along with that, he also had his own business yeah. um, for a short while, but my dad was a union activist. Yeah. And we often say to him, he stood up for those who were the underprivileged, those who were uneducated, you know, he fought and fought and fought, wow. literally uh, for, for others in his care. And then he became uh, he. he the, the driving school instructor for the council and many of the individuals that I was with uh, worked with at the time, he instructed them. And so, you know, impact I, I've had. So my parents, my grandparents, my aunts and uncles, and I can't not talk about impact without not talking about my grandchildren. Yeah. Because my grandchildren now are impacting my life. Wow. That is such yeah. a very inspiring. Of course, um, family means a lot. I can tell that family means a lot. And they've been the pave of the way for you. Um, and, and, and I think that that's something that we should always be grateful for is for them, for those ones who have, who have pushed us and who have brought us in, in and all that good stuff. And, and yeah, it, it's just really good. We're, we're running out of time with this podcast, but I feel like I need to bring you on again um, because there's a part two of Anne Divine that I feel that there's more that you offer to community and there's lots of different topics to bring you back onto this podcast. And I know that you're a busy woman, but I know we, we will have to bring you back on. We'll check with your assistant to, to try to connect in that way. But, yes. but Anne, I really do appreciate you being yourself and telling who Anne really is. Because that's yes. who we want to know. We know we know that you advocate for different, a lot of different um, um, things and issues and all that good stuff. But we wanted to know what brought that, what oh, brought that yes. passion, and you brought it today to us to the neighborhood conversation. We really do appreciate you coming on today. Before we Thank go, you. leave us with a quote, saying, or something that can inspire our people as they move forward in this society. You know, I have to, I, I thought about that when, when you asked the question and I thought, 
you know, here's what I've been saying to people in, in recent times. There's room for everyone at the table. Yeah. And if we don't have room at the table, this is what my parents used to do. They add another leaf. Yeah. We had a table that always had a leaf. And if that leaf wasn't enough, they will bring something else to the table. Uh, it could be an old table, an old chair, an old something that would adjoin that table yeah. so that everybody else can sit around the table. Everybody else, my dad always said, everybody else has to have a voice. Yeah. So add a leaf to the table. Give everyone a voice because you know what? We all belong. We all have in our unique self a right to be heard and to be at the table. And that's how I'm going to end this episode. And I really do appreciate you coming on and today. Thank you so much. And divine folks, thank you so much um, for listening to this episode. And we'll see you at the next one. Thank you. <laughs> This podcast is funded by the Government of Nova Scotia.